And so I started getting involved with them. And they have intensives, three-day intensives up in Mount Shasta. So I drive up there from Marin and have a, and all I do is laugh the whole time because they would describe, the book describes basically the structure of what you would call the ego. They use the term ego. They, I like to call it selfie. And so when the mind realizes the house of cards, it's pretty funny. It really is how much furniture you bought for that house of cards, how much insurance policies, how many curtains you put on the house of card windows, how many rugs you threw on the floor, how many tempurpedic beds you bought for the house of cards. It sort of hits you pretty good, you know. So you're like this pretty much most of the time. And so I really liked it. I, I really liked the understanding that was being presented and the, and the lessons you did. And the lessons would be 365 lessons for the year. And uh, you do it one a day. And they're not hard at all. There's no vigilance involved. It's just like look around the room and see, like, and entertain the idea that you're giving everything all the meaning it has. You, know? you just do that for two minutes, twice a day. It's not hard. So, and what happened is I got more engaged and I went to the, they had this uh, a facility in Wisconsin called the Endeavor Academy. So I, I met a woman that was from there. She'd been there for five years. And they used to call her a light junkie. She was demonstrated the bliss unbelievable. She was just incredible, Kundalini and all this stuff. And uh, so I started going out with her. And so she wanted me to go there and see if I liked, if I wanted to stay there, you know, move into Wisconsin. So, of course, my great decision was to go there in January. It was a nice time of year for a month. January 1st to January 31st in Wisconsin Dells. Strange places. The giant, like, uh, playground park in the summer. So they have, like, giant Paul Bunyans and, you know, House of Horrors. It's just, it's totally desolate, uh, desolate in the winter. It's crazy. So I went to this place and, uh, in a couple of weeks I didn't, I realized I didn't want to be there, you know. I don't like institutions. <laughs> I liked the ideas, but it was just a little too cultish for me, in a sense. And so she said she was really happy because she had decided to leave, but she wanted me to have the chance to just decide for myself, and then she was going to... And I thought that was pretty cool. And then she decided she was going to leave, but she participated completely every single second until we left. Now, I never saw that demonstrated in my life. With an alcoholic mind, I was always looking to blame, and I had to have a resentment to leave, or some kind of rationalization, but she just participated completely, and left, and when we left, we left, and she told me, and she'd been, I mean, bliss and kundalini, and she says, you know, Paul, it's for five years, she says, you know, Paul, that doesn't mean a damn thing, and I got that, I entertained it, and that was one of the last hooks I still had was demonstrations, spiritual demonstrations, people going into trances, you know, going into the light, I was still hooking, that must be, that's the authentic condition, you know. And she just blew that away. And I said, thank you. And she saved me five. She saved me a lot of fucking time. You know, because it's not that. It's not that, it's not that, it's not that, it's not that, it's not that. The wild thing is, it's dog shit awareness. It's the, it's the, it's what's looking right now is what you're looking for. Not all sussied up in, in spiritual ornaments. Not all, not all this, not everyone's recognizing, oh, He's got that loving gaze. You know, anyone can fucking make a loving gaze. You know, they probably say, I hate you unbelievably while they're looking at you, you know. But, you know, all this stuff, is, none of that's so. It's just dog shit awareness. It's exactly what's looking right now is what you're looking for. And that now never ends. As long as you're alive, that, that statement holds true. Every now that you're looking, that's what you're looking for. Is that is what's looking? Yeah, it doesn't say who's looking. Yeah, see that's the dilemma. That's where self-centeredness gets in between what's looking and what's looking and uh, and the you that's looking for. The you gets in the place there. Yeah, and now the what's looking gets translated into a you that's looking for. Yeah, that's a, you have a purposeful look. You're looking to get relief from the you, basically. But because of that you is now taking a place of what's looking, you're never going to find the what's looking while you're looking for it. Yeah? You're never going to find stillness through activity. You're never going to find mind with mind. You're never going to find the Buddha with the Buddha. Yeah? It's not going to happen. There's one great master, Hoang Po, a Zen master from China, used to say, 
He says, you, you can be doing this for eons and nothing will change. <laughs> eons. You're kind of saying, like, no more seeking. I'm not saying no more seeking. I'm saying entertain the possibility that you're the sort. Yeah. yeah you're okay. already the sort. I don't care if you're seeking. What, I'm, what I'm concerned with is the sense of being the seeker. Seeking happens here. I'm looking for a better a way to get out of this trip to Toronto. <laughs> if someone would give me a stipend right now, I'd cancel the trip. I swear to God. Someone came in here and gave me $10,000, I'd be on the phone maybe tomorrow. I don't like to travel that much anymore. I don't want to sit and talk every day for 10 days. So. But, but the fact is, there's no sense of being the seeker of that. That's the freaking relief. It's not like, try to stop seeking. That's seeking. Yeah? You can't get out of self with self. You can't find mind with mind. It's not... It's... It's a spiritual axiom. You're going to, with all the frustration that you're experiencing in, let's say, spiritual pursuits, that's it. Why? That's, it's explaining it. Why you're so frustrated. Why you're so frustrated that you haven't gotten it yet, and that yet you're still holding on to that someday, if I could just hear the right person or purify myself the perfect way, I'll be, I'll be ripe enough to receive it. That gives you too much relevance. <laughs> that you have to become ripe enough to receive this. You can't receive what you already are. That's the dilemma. We want to have we want to have what we are served to us on a plate, like a gold plate, yeah, and have everyone see us get it, and have everyone recognize that we've eaten the great truth of the great truth. Yeah, it's not like that. It's it's a very humbling position, in a sense, because you can't own it, you can't privatize it, you can't polish it, <laughs> you can't spit shine it, <laughs> you can't dress it up. You basically gotta leave it totally alone, and then nothing is just nothing, and it's the gift that keeps on giving. It's incessantly on. It's always available at all times. And at this point, and at every point, on the whole experience, there's no requirement necessary to meet it, because you're so prior to the point of meeting anything with this, you are this. Yeah. So like St. Francis said, just to say plenty of time, he says, what's looking is what you're looking for. It didn't, it didn't have a little exemption, well, unless you were fucking up today. <laughs> you know what I mean? Unless, unless you ripped someone off. He didn't, he didn't put any little clauses on it. It just says, what's looking? Yeah. Is what you're looking for. Yeah? Now, if the you drops out, what's looking is what's looking for. What's the dilemma? Yeah. While you're looking for, there's still the recognition of what's looking. Because at that point, you're not looking for what's looking outside. Yeah? You're looking from what's looking. And then looking for occurs. A new place to live, you know? A better deal on apples. You'll be looking for that. You'll be looking for, you know, the keys you lost. You'll be looking for that pair of socks you're missing, yeah? But all the while, all this is going on, you'll, there'll be a sense of what's looking. Yeah? It, I won't have to live a perfect way of looking for, you know? To have that, to have that vast openness of what's looking available to me. That's called playing God, yeah? That it has to be a certain way. The only way I'll recognize what's looking is while I'm looking for things in life, I've got to do it a certain way. I've got to do it detached, totally, with equanimity. You're going to be waiting a long freaking time, yeah? You put, it's, again, the mind's putting it off and it's playing God with it, yeah? So like a statement we use here, you can't get out of an imaginary place. Yeah. It saves you a lot of freaking time. Yeah. What's the best way to recognize what's not happening? It's not happening. What more do you need to do when that happens? Nothing. What are you going to do when you recognize something that you are struggling with isn't actually happening? Are you going to be struggling with it anymore? It's going to stop. Exactly. You're going to be in a pause, which is timelessness, and there's your solution, which has been always available at all times with no requirement necessary to need it. It's always there. 
Yeah. When the shenanigans stop, or lose, or when the mind loses interest in them, then they don't have the ability to block you off, supposedly, from the sunlight of the spirit. Because here, let's say if I'm taking myself to be Paul here, and I'm in this little room, let's say the room represents my life, and I'm in these conditions of life, my room is small and claustrophobic, I don't have much light, yes? And there I am, I'm sitting in there, and then there's the window, there's the window, and then there's this huge amount of light outside, but a five cent paper shade can block me off from it. Huge, incredible power, this light outside, right? Let's say, use the example of sun. But in this position, a five cent shade can block it off. If I'm in this position, this is called self-centeredness, yeah? When I'm in this position, anything can become a black for me and the light, yeah? Sort of like if you wanted to get a suntan, and you're sitting in there, well, the day your suntan is going to be determined by the cloud layer, yeah? There's a lot of clouds, you're not going to get much sun, yeah? The clouds have the ability to block you off from the sun, but it's, it's the position you're in that's allowing that cloud to have all that influence. What would happen if you were on the sun side, You'd still see the clouds, but you'd be seeing them from the sun side. At that point, the clouds, though seemingly real, would have no power to block you off from the sun. Exactly. This is what it's like. Self-centeredness puts you in a position. You become an, you take yourself to be an action figure in a certain location and in time. And those, and then everything in location and time have the power to prohibit you from entertaining the light. Because now you think the light is outside of you, and then all these other things that are outside of you can block it off from you. Yeah. What would happen if you realize you are that light? Then they lose their power, because their power is your power. You have been giving it over to that. You have been given it over to all these things, and you've allowed these things to block you off from the sunlight of the Spirit. But you can only be blocked off from the sunlight as a thing. Yeah. If you're not a thing, you're awash in light. Yeah? So then you're not looking for an artificial light to find your way. It's like here. So simple. If this room was dark, it was dark outside, and the, someone turned off the lights, a lot of problems would ensue. Yeah? Let's say you wanted to go to the bathroom. You've never been here before. You wouldn't be able to find your way. Yeah? And maybe when you got up, you'd run into someone, and they get mad at you, and then you feel bad because you stepped on their foot, but you couldn't see that foot. So who's going to stop that from happening? Then you run into a chair and you hurt your knee and you're, oh, you're now you're limping and all these things, all these effects are starting to happen from this darkness. But what you do is you, you buy knee pads, you know? You try to buy mats from some crazy entrepreneur who's selling you mats to where he thinks the bathroom is. You may, I saw it once years ago when the light was on. If you go left and right and left, you'll find it. Hope, good luck. First, give me the five bucks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and if it doesn't fight you, you buy another map. That's what the insanity is. <laughs> so here we are. <laughs> so all these problems are ensuing. Now we've got knee pads. Now I have like a preemptive apology. Hey, if I run into anyone, I'm sorry, I can't see where you are, but I gotta get somewhere, I need something. And then, you know, you, maybe catheters would be carrying, you gotta p take a piss where you're sitting and all this stuff. And then, instead of just finding the light switch, if you turned on the light, where are all the problems? I can see the foot when I'm walking. I can see the door, and I can see the sign on the other door that says bathroom. I don't have to buy maps from anyone, do I? The knee pads can be taken off. I think I can navigate through this, these chairs. Yeah. I, why? The problem was there was no illumination. There was no illumination. Yeah. So then I'm seeking artificial illumination. That's what's happening now. So instead, we're saying you are the light. Yeah. And we're not saying go seek the light. We're not saying that. We say you are the light. Just question what's saying you're not. Yeah. If you're not beholden to the selfing, you'll be freed from it. And that's free from the bondage of self, because the thought system, the, the language that the thoughts are wrapped in, that you're hearing all day, is the trance-setter. Yeah? The thought system in the English language, if you're in, from, you know, not from England, but in English, you use English, that sound, and it sort of sounds like your voice, doesn't it? Which is total identification as a body, yeah? This is just a vocal cord. Why does it suddenly become mine? 
because I'm identified somewhat with this body as being me. You've got to see it. It's called the act of being identified as self. It's not like identified as, which is the verb, and then self as a noun. No, it's identified, identification as self. It's a verb. The whole thing's a verb. There is no noun called self. There is no long-lasting, independent, separate entity. Your own experience, or lack of, because we don't have a memory of it, the own, the, your own, our own experience on this planet, when the body shows up, is for the first 18 months, supposedly, the kid has no idea that it's a kid. Yeah? It doesn't see, the, it doesn't see an other yet. It, and he usually says the selfing, the mental process that starts producing the sense of self, is aligned or sort of arises at the same time the language center fires. Yeah? So the language and the sense of self are very symbiotic. Yes? The language reinforces the sense of self. Yeah? It's a subjective language used by objects. This is an object, the brain you could take out of this head and you would see it. It's an object. Yeah? This object is using a subjective language. I'm this, I'm that, I did this, I did that, I'm seeing, I'm hearing, I'm feeling, yeah? <laughs> I saw my, when I was young, my Uncle Fred died. It was one of my favorite, one of my favorite uncles because he'd give me money behind his back. At <laughs> birthday, I could, family parties, he'd throw me a couple bucks. You know? <laughs> Thanks, Uncle Fred. Well, he passed away when I was nine. You know, so my mother took me to the funeral, the wake, Catholic wake. And there was an open casket, so my mother said, well, let's go and say goodbye to Uncle Fred. So I wasn't that excited about that, but I walked up there, and I looked in, and there's the casket, and there was supposedly Uncle Fred. But it had a very strong hit. That ain't Uncle Fred, yeah? The body was there that I was taking to be Uncle Fred, because I was taking this to be Paul, yeah? But when I saw the life out of that body, it was obviously not Uncle Fred. And you could take him, if he wasn't damaged around here, you could have taken an eye out of his body, which was not seeing, and put it in a live body, and it would see. The eye would facilitate seeing. Its functioning was available, but what drove it wasn't anymore. The life was gone, yes? Now, you want to call it life as prana or energy, or let's say there's an aspect of it called consciousness. I would say that's what's happening here. Consciousness is moving through this system, this brain, Right? Almost like this is a camera and the consciousness is the light. And this brain, through the conditioning of the apparatus and your environment, diffuses the light. And now undifferentiated light diffuses into a dream. Really what's happening here. The mind's dreaming. Yeah? So let's say that's going on. Now, if I took that body, see? So if I took this eye out and put it in a, a living body, it would see again. So this is just facilitating consciousness. Yeah? So there's conscious contact. The five basic gates of consciousness in contact here are seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, and smelling. Yes. And then there's a sixth gate Buddhism talks about, which is you see or you hear thoughts. Yeah. So I, I hear thoughts like you would hear a sound, like a bird fly by in a car. You would hear that. That's how you're hearing thoughts. So the mind is the sixth gate. So here's consciousness moving through this opportunity, and it's experiencing whatever this is, through those gates. Now, what happens with the mental process that's producing selfing? It notices the conscious contact, and what it does, it claims to be the one who's in consciousness contact. It supplants consciousness, and it takes itself to be conscious. Yeah? It takes itself to be the Alpha and the Omega. It takes it, in other words, the mental process produces a sense of self after the conscious contact, but the sense of self feels like it's prior to the conscious contact. And now conscious contact is something that you're doing. Yeah? This is the greatest heist of all. It's the greatest heist that's going on every day. Your own nature is being co-opted by this false mental process called selfing. And you're taking yourself to be something that you're not. And hence, that produces tons of dilemmas. Yeah? Tons of dilemmas. Tons of exquisite suffering. Yeah? And the selfing, because it doesn't exist truly, yeah? it can only seem to exist. How does it seem to exist? It has to be remembered. It's the only way it can seem to exist. It's not appearing now. Yeah? You cannot find you. <laughs> it's not appearing. You know? 
<laughs> it's not. It, it, so what happens is the thought system, you can see it in your own thoughts. Where does your thought system value lie in the past and the future? Is it? It's not on the present moment. You just to give a shit about the present moment. It's concerned about what happened and what's going to happen, basically. Yes? Yeah. So right there you can get a whole lot of information just from that. So here's the thought system that's running this program called selfing. And so it needs to produce a sense of self. Yeah? To fool the mind into taking itself to be aligned with this body or in this body and then to, and to be determined as something that can be affected by everything else out here. Yeah? So here it goes. So what does it do? It remembers itself by thinking about itself in the past. Yeah? So when you, when you think about three days ago, how do you see yourself as this body, don't you? You can't think of yourself as spirit five years ago, can you? Oh, let's see. Oh, I remember that day in spirit five years ago. It would be exactly the same as today. <laughs> There'd be no way you could make any distinction. And then you'd really get that there is no fucking time, but let's, let's not go there right now. So here it is. There's a remembering of Paul through the thought system. Picture it as a body, Yes. And then, when you're worrying about you as a body in the future, that's another form of remembering. Yeah? It's not just located in the past. Remembering is used both ways. Because you, so here's the selfing. It remembers the sense of being a self in the past. So it says, I was here. I will be here by all the worrying. And therefore, I am here now. That's basically what it's doing all day. That's what it's doing all day. And it needs time to do that. Because if something doesn't exist now, it has to seem to exist there and then. Yeah? The only way it can sort of cause the mind to go into a trance is by just constantly, incessantly remembering that of itself. Yeah? And then the mind gets lazy and gets exhausted and falls for it. And once it falls in, up, down the rabbit hole, it's hard to get up from the rabbit hole. Because now, another axiom applies, which is self can't get out of self. So as soon as the self is determined to be you and the starting point, then when you want to get out of this starting point, you're going to get out of this starting point as the starting point. And therefore, the race is never over. <laughs> you, never, you never get to the winning, you never get to the finish line. <laughs> One race ends and then a new race begins, yeah? First you meet Buddhism, then it's turbocharged Buddhism, or extreme radical Buddhism. And nothing's never enough. It always has to be charged up and more and extreme because nothing's fucking working, really. Because the sex, second axiom always catches, not always, but catches most people. They have a desire to get out of self, but they're attempting to get out of self as a self. That doesn't work, you know? <laughs> You're, <laughs> That's where all the exits, all the exits are entrances, really. <laughs> all the escape hatches, you're not escaping anywhere. <laughs> you're just going into another, another room in that, that mental mass mansion. <laughs> and of course, it's going to paint some of the rooms a little nicer color, and then you think, oh, I've arrived. And you'll only be there for a minute or two, and then you'll be back seeking again. <laughs> Because the slavery is seeking. The slavery is constantly incessant agitation. Looking outside of ourselves in an ignorant manner to get relief from what's not actually even happening. That's the dilemma. You cannot apply a solution to an imaginary problem. That's a bigger problem. So it's like depression born out of all this? All those things. It's like they say in recovery, you know, the hundred forms of fear. This is the Petri dish. Selfing's the Petri dish. It's producing everything out of it. All the dis-ease comes from the one original, not original, but the, let's say the first link of all the disease, which is the mind's addiction to an idea of being a self. So treating it with pharmaceuticals probably isn't the best thing to <laughs> Well, if you have depression, you better take it, because you've got to realize the level you're on. If your house is on fire, you better get a pail of water. If you try to use the philosophy that there's no house and there's no fire, you're going to fry. <laughs> It's going to be really bad. So you might as well get off your high horse and realize, hey, I need a pail of water. Put down the books. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, get some help. But of course, you know, it's the, 
the most ultimate, optimum would be that, that you wouldn't ne- need those necessary, those seemingly incredible necessary solutions for a temporary seeming problem. But that's the case here. Yeah? There's a lot of people who are in a house that's on fire. They don't need a philosophy, they need a pail of water. You know? Someone comes here and they're super hungry and they haven't eaten. You're not going to talk about this, you're just going to take them out to dinner. You know? That would be a much better message at that moment. I would say. That's the whole point. Like in the Course of Miracles, they talk about level confusions. So people confuse levels. Mind is just mind manifesting and expressing. It's nice, though, if you could, there can be a recognition of what aspect of mind's manifesting. If it's manifesting on a consequential level where it really believes this place, you're going to need a lot of pails of water. <laughs> you, better move, you better move to a big source of water and get a lot of pails because there's going to be a lot of houses on fire. <laughs> and then hopefully, while the house isn't on fire, you can entertain about, is there really a fire and is there a house? It would be a good use of time. And then you get to a point where you leave the consequential level and now you're more on the blueprint level. So it's much more difficult to leave a house you're not, you don't want to be in after you've signed a five-year lease. Yeah? <laughs> in the blueprint, you see it before it's built. Yeah? You start, it's like you're in the hallway of shit and fans and on the consequential level, you've got to learn, you've got to have those handy wipes because you got to, <laughs> the fan is going to get turned on, the shit's going to align with it, and you're going to realize it after it hits you in the face. So you need handy wipes. <laughs> so let's say you, you, you hear a message that sort of takes you out of the hallway of shit and fans, then you study the blueprint a little bit, and now you're not in that hallway as much. Yeah? So then the incredible value that you put on handy wipes diminishes because you don't need the handy wipes anymore because there's no shit on your face. That's it. Yeah? That's what happens. So the blueprint room is, in, in a sense, it's where mind is formulating something. So you see, selfing is made up all day. So it needs to be it's structured and reinforced and constantly reinforced through repetition. That's why we have these talks. We're using the poison as an antidote. We keep repeating the same message for years after years after years. Not use dissertations, just an invitation and a message to sort of counteract the repetition of the selfing. Because that's all it is. It's just constantly repetition. And what it does is selfing implies that there's a self. Yeah, It infers that there's a self, the language. It, it uh, insinuates that there's a self. And after, but it can never make a self. It can't make it actually be so. The mind does the rest. That's where the power lies. You are the dreaming. And you are what's, in, uh, you are what's setting up the trance and can be free from the trance at this very second. Yeah? If you could see the selfing and, not make, and, and then see the mind in the habit wanting to make the leap to that sense of feeling like you're a self, if you could see that, what happens is you break that little habit. You know, the mind breaks the habit. And then what occurs is when the seeing is, when you start seeing the selfing and it doesn't leap into I'm a self, what happens is the, the mind leaps into its own nature, which is seeing. Yeah? It's aware and it gets a sense, oh, that's what I am. I'm the seeing of what I'm not. Yeah? Now, it doesn't ever become a seer. It doesn't turn into a noun, ever. And that's what happens. The seeing has been turned into a noun called the seer. And as soon as the seer occurs, that's a form of looking called self-centeredness. And therefore, you're blind to the seeing. Because the seeing is a verb, it's not a noun. You can't recognize it when you have noun glasses on. You're never going to fucking see it. It's not the, the truth. Because you are the truth. Yeah? The truth is kaleidoscopic here. It's expressing in zillions of ways. Yeah? But you are that which you're looking for. So when you have those bifocals of dualistic viewing, subject, object, self, and this, then you're blind to the seeing. Because the seeing is just, in a sense, a verb. Yeah? It's just seeing. There's no seer. You're never going to get to the point where a seer finally arises and you go, oh, I've reached the ultimate place. There is no ultimate place. Yeah, it's just seeing. Yeah. So you start seeing the, the selfing. And one or two, maybe it happens once and it's done. Maybe it happens thousands of times and then slowly you, something shifts. But what will occur is the emphasis will be 
will will land on the scene, not on the, the mental idea of being the seer, you know, the selfing. You'll land on that, and you'll realize you're home. For me, it was like an unspoken yes. Some people like an aha, whatever you want to call it. But there's a recognition immediate that aha. <laughs> That's when you see in the house of cards, yeah? <laughs> All leases are broken and mortgages are unpaid because it's a house of cards. And then... It's incessantly on, and all there is is seeing. Yeah. And then the seeing, the seeing, the seeing is the same, and everything goes on. Things can download different takes, but the basic, the basic denominator is just the dog shit awareness. Yeah. The everyday being on. Yeah. And it's truly reliable. The mind finally finds rest. Because now it's not reflecting this incredible agitated system of thought and interpretation called self-centeredness and finding this made-up reflection of being a self in, it, in its own nature and mind. It's now reflecting infinity. It's reflecting spaciousness. It's reflecting presence. It's reflecting, reflecting clarity. Yeah? It's reflecting timelessness. It's reflecting nothing partitioned, nothing cut up, nothing added and subtracted, yeah? Mm-hmm. And that's, that, when that starts downloading in your day-to-day affairs, it stabilizes in what I call a traveling lighter. That's what happens. Start traveling lighter here. And I found that's all I was really looking for. I'd given it a lot of names that I learned, like enlightenment and all this and all that, but basically, success. But basically, it's just a traveling lighter and easing comfort in my situations and in my skin. It doesn't mean the terrain or the geography of my life is going to change, but I'm going to travel lighter over what my life has in store. Good and bad. Yeah? And I find that to be the most valuable gift I've ever gotten. Paul, well, one, one of the things that, that I value in my recovery is, that, and I, you know, obviously there's nothing new that's going to work for it, but uh, the difference between reacting to life and responding to life yeah. You know, and that's that was a big one for me. Because I realized when, when I was not even only in my addiction, but prior to that, I was at war with life because life was happening to me and I had to respond. And through the program, it taught me I had to react animalistically, actually. It, I had no choice. And the program's given me the ability to respond to life, which to me, sort of, there's an inherent pause in yeah. a response. Yeah, definitely. Because that's you responding. Mm-hmm. You're the pause. <laughs> that's what it is. When it's the mental response, it's a reaction. Mm-hmm. Because you're not that. That's, that's an interpretation. The pause is what you are responding to what's going on. That's what it is. You are that. Or like in Zen they say, it's like looking at your original face. There's no one there. Mm-hmm. And that's what you are. You're what we would call no thing here. Yet it's everything. Yeah, that's so that's so funny. It's such a trip. Yeah. And then that pause grows. It becomes more prevalent in your life. Because obviously you're in your life all the time, aren't you? If you're that pause, then you're gonna be having there's gonna be in a lot of pause. <laughs> What do you think you are? When the selfing stops or loses its hold on you, what do you always sense? In recovery, we call it a pause. That's <clears> us. <throat> You've just gotten a free sample of what you are. Is that pause? Just let the mind entertain it so it expands on the idea. Instead of having to go through a lot of selfing to get a breakdown and then have a pause, it'll see the selfing from the pause. Yeah. Yeah. So the selfing will look at like a very small a little activity going on, that's finite. And instead of having the activity dominate your attention and then have a pause as an interruption, you'll see the activity and the pause will surround it like a context. Yeah? And therefore, you don't have to wait for that to stop, the selfing. The pause will also be there when the selfing is going on. 
Because the selfing's happening within the pause. The pause isn't, isn't coming after a selfing. Yeah? It's just when the selfing collapses, you feel the pause. Well, the pause is there before the selfing, during the selfing, and after the selfing. Yeah? It's like this giant spaciousness that we're not aware of because we're up our ass for selfing. You know? So, <laughs> we can't sense it, and we're trying to sense it, but we're trying to sense it as... See, like we talked the other day, a lot of people are waiting to get it. <laughs> That's why it's not happening. They want to be here to experience their own absence. That's not going to happen. <laughs> a lot of us, the mind I noticed in me, I was holding out for that day to happen when I would be there to get it. <laughs> <laughs> it could be the death of you. Keep waiting. <laughs> You're going to get it all right. <laughs> Not the way you thought. <laughs> so we're just entertaining it now. See what happens. You know. If it helps you, just keep entertaining it. Why not? Isn't it? What does it? What uh, what kind of stretch do you have to put yourself under if something works? <laughs> you know what I mean? Wouldn't you want to do it again? So once the mind gets a little flavor of what it's like to be freed from that obsession yeah. itself, I have, I have faith that it would probably like to have a little more of that. Yeah. And what occurs is the interest and attention leaves that preoccupation with this process, and now it's spent somewhere else. Let's say right now. Yeah. So the importance of time really diminishes, and now you have an immunity to what's not happening, because you're seeing that it's not happening. <laughs> Instead of trying to read all these books about how to deal with the worries of next year, <laughs> well, if you realize next year isn't happening, that's a pretty damn good way to deal with the worries about next year. <laughs> really. I mean, a lot, of stuff, a lot of the cream of that worrying will be... Taken right off the top, <laughs> you know, you'll, you'll be able to drink it a lot better. And maybe make plans for it instead of being fretting and fretting and fretting. You know, yeah, it's so it's just blue and blue and red is red. It's very obvious after a while at what works. Like I was at this doing this talk down in Palo Alto, and this guy he knows I go in the water, so he says, "Are you afraid of sharks?" And I said, "Not right now." <laughs> and he, he was amazed by that statement but it's so obvious I'm on land what's there to be worried about <laughs> I know the capabilities of a shark and I haven't seen one get on land yet except when you watch SNL you know yeah. Saturday Night Live you know so no right now I'm not worried about a shark <laughs> wow that took many years of study, no? It's, very, it's just freaking common sense. You know what I mean? So that's the whole point. If you have the ability to recognize that something that seems to have a huge effect on you, let's say you're trying to deal with the effect something's having on you, yeah? And you realize wrestling with that, wrestling with like its eight tentacles, its effects, hasn't really worked out well. Then you, one day you entertain that it's actually not happening, then you're relieved of all the tentacle effects. Yeah? It's not like you learn great judo mask wrestling moves. You can try to do that. But when you realize there's, it's an imaginary adversary, the fucking bout's over. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You may not get the glory of knocking it out, but hey, I, I forget about that. I'd much rather surpass that than I have no bout, you know? the nobility of overcoming something, I'd rather not just have it. <laughs> I'd rather just see it's not happening. You know, I don't care if I get any accolades, I'll be traveling a lot later. Accolades are just more heavy ornaments to wear. Yeah, fuck it. This is about being economized and pared down and flexible and stuff. And I don't believe you can produce that effect. I think that occurs when you're placed in a position of neutrality. Yeah? When you've entertained something, and that, that entertaining has produced a valid reaction or result. And then it just builds on that result. 
This isn't about a belief. This isn't about a hope. It isn't about saying 8,000 prayers. It's about something that works. It's where the rubber meets the road. You're going to travel lighter. And once you, once you start traveling lighter, you'll start realizing the problem from the solutions point of view. And from the solutions point of view, I humbly suggest that the problem doesn't exist. And therefore, from the solution's point of view, the solution is only as real as the problem is. Once the problem seems not real, the solution goes too. I mean, this is how light you travel. You don't even need a solution. Yeah? Just nothing. Nothing. You don't need a carry-on bag. Nothing. No plane insurance. Nothing. Yeah? You're taking care of. Things work out. And yet you have the joy and the peace of not even knowing that. Yeah, you're just rooted in something that's truly reliable right now. You're not you're not attempting to try to conjure up the condition you're in by your circumstances. What your condition starts outshining your circumstances and situations instead of trying to construct a condition based on your circumstances and situations and your future circumstances and situations and your past circumstances and situations. This this outshines all of that. Yeah. Instead of trying to do and have yourself into a state of being, you're being into what you're doing and having. Yeah. So regardless of circumstances or emotional conditions? At, po- at, at a point that becomes so. At, maybe you'll have to grow through a lot of things until that becomes so, but it's available, yes. The principle is never ending. It's there. Now, do you access it? I don't know. But I'm telling you, if you're going to shoot for the stars, you might, why, why not, you know? entertain principles and then expand on them. Just like they say, you know, that remember that old statement, you look at one drop of water and you can see the whole ocean. What's that but the mind expanding on an idea? So here's an idea we're giving you now. Let the mind expand on it, see where it goes. I have total faith in mind. Yeah. It's like really how the mind is set up now and it and it's formatted, it's like this frame here. It's like a, putting a marathon runner in a closet. It really is. The poor marathon runner, he's got the ability to run 26 miles like that, and now he's just looping around the small closet, you know what I mean? Maybe every day they change the clothing in the closet so it looks different, but it's the same old, same old, yeah? I mean, people are entertaining. What did that person mean by saying hello to me for hours, you know? Am I going to marry them? Or the person has forgotten you, you know? They just said hello to you, being nice. Now you've made a huge story about what it's going to mean. You know, that's entertaining. Look at the insane shit we entertain here. Can you imagine? And I'm not, and the entertaining's there. It doesn't, it's not like the entertaining's going to stop. What would happen if you gave it something else to entertain? Hey, hell, maybe, hey, you're not that. <laughs> you're not this action figure you're not this historical character you're not these thoughts you're not the thinker of them you're not the feeler of the feelings you're not the hearer of what's being heard what's hearing can never be heard what's seeing can never be seen what's tasting can never be tasted give, that, give the mind that to you see what happens now it stretches itself out now it's met a challenge worthy of its size. Instead of being this little world of what's going to happen to me based on what did happen to me. Questions today? No. Just uh, one more thing, please. Uh, I was thinking about uh, how in recovery, you know, we we, uh, we we have to access a power greater than ourselves in order to, you know, have any type of recovery whatsoever. Because without that, it's just me again. And. I was thinking about the fact that, you know, I know my recovery never kicked in until I killed that uniqueness within myself. And and I know that's maybe like, you know, it's not not perfect, but like a super ego. So it broke me down to where I was just a person 
Americans start relating to people as people rather than almost as objects the way I did, you know, in my disease. Because it seems that the program, you know, for people that come into the program from an addiction, it seems like there's a lot of light and a lot of lightness that comes into their life depending on, you know, the way they work the program. And I was just wondering, you know, I know there's an old letter talking about why we were chosen, and I don't really buy into that. You know, I made decisions that, and I was born in such a way that, you know, I was, you know, as you've said, you know, alcohol and drugs were the first solution I found that worked for my problem. But, you know, I worked 99% of the program for a long time, and I like to say now, if you're working 99% of the program, you ain't working no damn program. You know, and I had to kill, literally kill that uniqueness that set me apart, you know, and because in the fellowship, in the sharing of the fellowship, it seems to be, you know, there's a power much, much greater within that, and if you can tune into that, it seems like such a, you know, and I know it's for an hour a day or however many meetings you go to, but it seems to be, for me, the real stepping off point. You know, I've done my time in India and Nepal and, you know, this and that, always looking, always looking, never finding until I, you know, I sort of had to, you know, kill myself, kill the uniqueness. I can imagine going to your house and on the, uh, above the mantle would be this big uniqueness, <laughs> like a like a seven like yes. seven horn stag. <laughs> I killed my uniqueness. <laughs> That's good, bro. I like that one. But I don't know. I don't believe in killing or anything like that. Literally, I don't think there's anything to kill. Let's just say you've been on the operating table mm-hmm. and, it's, and you haven't gotten up, so more and more gets revealed. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And to me, the whole point is just keep remembering you're the patient and don't mm-hmm. take yourself to be the doctor. And then things just get worked. Because there's a magic and grace in AA if you participate in it. Because if you were, if you were set, if you set up to cut out whatever you thought was bad or whatever in you, you would leave a lot of shit in there. And you'd probably cut out the wrong stuff. <laughs> so we're not meant to be anywhere near a scalpel. You know what I mean? We're meant to just to lay on the operating table, live a certain way of life, and this grace will work on us. And then it's not a matter of vanquishing anything or killing anything, in my view. It's a matter of just the mind just loses interest in big big balloons it was blowing up and now it doesn't blow them up anymore. So that big scary thing doesn't seem big and scary anymore because you don't believe it anymore. You just lost interest in it. Yeah, and that's and the funny thing is, it's not like you lose interest, you just lose interest in that. Mm-hmm. That's like a fucking black hole for interest. It's, you know, the obsession with self is unbelievable. It's like a black hole that we're always on the event horizon getting sucked in. Yeah. Now this is where we lose interest in that and then we like it says in recovery you'll gain interest in others. Well, that interest has a life of its own. Once it's free from that bondage of self, you will, you'll see, and the only way you'll know what's going to happen is by finding out. That's the beauty of it. You have no freaking idea how things are going to work out. And that's the beauty of it. Because it's in that uncertainty that true reliance occurs. You know, like in the AA, it always says it. It's through dependence on this power that true independence occurs. It's just the, it's the paradox of duality. So in this thing, it's in uncertainty, that's where the greatest certainty is. Because instead of resting on this very weak foundation of mental knowing, which doesn't fucking hold water, you find out, which is much more convincing. So you now have it in your gut, and you're sure of something, yeah? And you have a certainty, you have a belief, yeah? (coughs) Certainty. And that becomes a sound foundation, and then everything and anything can be added onto that, yeah? The more the merrier, or if you like it, if you just don't want to flip out at a picnic, you know, the next time you go, or have maybe a six-month-long relationship, there you go. AA's a big enough umbrella for anything and everything. Someone who really wants to stay on that table and really, all right, 
totally open, do whatever, you know, if you need, take a, you know, take someone's heart and put it in me, whatever, like that, or someone just say, hey, alright, thanks, I'm alright, not drinking anymore, and I'm fine, it doesn't matter, it's just whatever, is, it's always available, because what's in contact with the program is the mind, yeah, and the mind precedes everything here, yeah, everything is coming through the mind here, yeah, like suspend your judgment. But then again, that means like you're doing something. But it's not, your judgment will be suspended, let's say. Just like you'll be placed in a position of neutrality. Your judgment will be suspended. You know the flavor that statement has. Expand on that flavor around everything in your life. Instead of, you know, like it says in the part of the book, you, the problem will not exist for you and it will happen with no thought or effort on your part. Exactly. Yeah. So that thing of no, the, the judgment will be suspended. You will not suspend the judgment. Yeah, you will be placed in a position of neutrality. You will not find the neutrality. <laughs> You'll find out about the neutrality after you're, you're placed in it. Yeah, that's the basics. That's putting the horse before the cart, and that's a principle. It's not a one-time only. Where oh, in this case that's true, but everything else I've got to be no. This is what happens. You have a way of life, a lot of us, or whatever other ways of life. More is going to be revealed. That's what goes on. You know, you take your cues, you, you become flexible, you're not rigid in any dogmatic belief, you're not sure of anything. Yeah, you're in that same sense of I don't know, so you're open. Yeah, and you're alert because let's say if you're walking down a dark road at night, you've never been there, you're going to be very alert, almost hyper alert. Yeah, in a sense, that sense of I don't know is like a petri dish for alertness. That alertness is vibrant. Yeah, you're awake. You're awake in your own life, even if it's the same job you've been going to ten years every day. You'll still be awake in that job because you'll be alert because your mind will still be in the I don't know. Yeah. That's the possibility. It may not seem like that, but it's possible. Yeah. This is it. Yeah. So. Any more questions tonight? This is my swan song. I'm going to be doing a lot of talks. Thank God it's not me that's going to be doing them. <laughs> See, if it was me, I wouldn't go. Yeah. No, it's not. Right. So, um, after your silent yes that you described, was it ever not there again? Because I feel like I've, I've been yeah, yeah, yeah. there, but no, not. <laughs> well, it doesn't, see, the feeling of being there well, is different than it being there. Yeah? Yeah. When the mind is still at the levers of interpretation and it still has that influence, then it's going to produce the sense you're not there. But what that there is is always there. Yeah? Mm -hmm. And that becomes an absolute. And after a while, you get weaned off of the coming and going and the disconnected and the connected. Okay. And all the stories about how far and how close you are to that which is always so, right here, everywhere. <laughs> and uh, like it's almost like the mute button comes on and you don't, you're not listening to it much anymore. You hear it still, but it doesn't have much influence. And then what you at one point where it's just entertaining just becomes actually so for you. It's already so, but the point isn't is it for it to seem so to you. Because this place is all about seemingly. Everything is appearing to be true or false to us. We have a huge role here, yeah? So, some people sense the presence in this room, others don't. So, to that one person, something that's always so is always so. To the other person, something that's always so doesn't seem to be so. Yeah? So, in our experience, we are, we're the big, we're the big, uh, Variable, yes? Yeah. So, let's say you feel like you're disconnected, and then you feel like you're connected and disconnected. After a while, you'll see that movement, like it's sort of like a, a little bobbing, a bobbing little head in water, yeah? Mm -hmm. So the water goes, the mental, the mental condition of yes and no duality goes like this, connected, disconnected. So your mind's still following this idea of you going this way and that way, not realizing You've never left the ocean, yeah? You're just getting caught in the current. You're thinking the current is more dominant than the ocean that it's happening in, where the ocean overrides every fucking current, yeah? Because it's the mother of all currents, yes? 
So you get a sense of that, and so your mind loses interest in this movement, because the movement's going to continue. Yeah? Your condition, physical, is going to change all the time. I'm telling you right now, every second, I have thousands of experiences, thousands, tons of sensations in my body. It's like if you, you remember the old uh, telephone operators, the lights would come on? Yeah. All day, there's tons of lights going on yeah. in my physical, emotional experience. I mean, I know, I know why, one of the reasons why I got loaded in the past, is I needed to disassociate it. It was way too much fucking stimuli going on. I wanted just to think I had a body, and that body was to be injected with something to feel different. You know? I didn't realize that it's a giant field of tons of sensations going on. All the time. Yeah. It's like unbelievable. I can't, if someone says how you feel at 11.55, I could say good. 11.55 and 10 seconds later I feel bad. <laughs> Physically. It just goes on. There's no stability to it whatsoever. So emotionally there's no stability. All this is no stability. But what's truly stable is the mind that all of this movement's happening in. Yeah. And you cannot not be that. That's the, that's the place where it says the Son of Man has no place to rest his head. That's where they rest their heads, right there. Yeah. In that there's no place to rest their head. This is not a place. It's not a location. It's not a thing. Yeah. It's the milu. It's the presence. It's the context. Like a bowl. A bowl can have hot water in it, cold water, split pea soup, tomato soup. Everything like that. But whatever it's ever held doesn't affect it. The bowl can be used for ice cream or super hot soup in a minute later. Yeah? Because the bowl has its own nature. Yeah? It's inherently allowing all this stuff to appear in it. But it's not being affected by what's appearing in it. Yeah? Your mind has that quality. I'm telling you. It's like open sky. And there's no place it runs into anything. There's just seeing. Infinitely, if you want to use the term infinitely, but there's no time, so it's not even, say, infinite. It's just seeing. And it, if, you, if you looked at something, let's say if you gaze, and you never, your eye never came upon a thing, would your gazing ever end? It would just keep going, Yes. Now, we have limitations with our physical eyes, but the gazing would keep going. That's what mind is like. When the eye stops and can't see any farther, the mind is seeing a lot farther. Yeah? The mind is seeing infinitely, not touching upon, or lighting upon any object, and just keeps seeing, 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 seeing itself, in a way. That's going on at the same time we're seeing things that I can only look that far and then I need glasses. All of that time... This is a conditional form of looking. And then there's the mental scene, or the mind scene, at the same exact time. Because timelessness is in every moment of time. Yeah? Every moment of time, timelessness is the basis of it. So. so that's why you're sitting in this room, and you start gazing, and you sense a presence in the gazing. Because you actually can sense, as if it's a thing, the space. Yeah? Just like when you hit something with eyes and you see it, then you see its qualities. The same way, when you're seeing the, the space, you get a quality of the space. It's like you're almost seeing it as a thing. Yeah? That has a profound effect on your head. So you sit here, I look out the room. And like When I go to meetings, I'm always just looking around, out, because my mind is just free-ranging, you know? I'm hearing what people are saying, but I'm entertaining the presence at the same time. Yeah? Just sitting around like this. It's incredible. Yeah. So, Paul, there's no place for the sound of the self-centered apparatus to rest its head. Well, yeah, what would a sun be? Yeah, just a creation. It's a making. It's an imagination. Yeah. I think people are just afraid they're going to die. That, they think that's sure, that's built in. Most of us have the fear of death. But is it us that's having the fear of death? No, it's built in. Why do we take it so personally? I'm going to overcome the fear of death. Good luck. <laughs> you, can say, you can say that you've overcome the fear of death to the moment of death, then you're probably going to be scared of shit. 
all the 40 years of, oh, I've, I've been overcoming the fear of death. Yeah, you're not dying. <laughs> Let's see what happens when you pass away. See how good you did with the overcoming the fear. <laughs> Can you imagine if you worked 40 years to overcome the fear of death, and at the moment of death, you're in total fear, and you identify with the one who's having the fear? <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ, the booby prize of all booby prizes. Jesus, what the fuck was I? Oh. <laughs> I couldn't even end the sentence. <laughs> Where, you know, rule 62 of AA. Don't take yourself so seriously. Mm-hmm. All right, study that. What does that mean? Well, how? what's the most serious I can take anything to be? A self. <laughs> it's bigger than God. To give this title me is bigger than giving anything the title God or Savior or this or Rescuer. The biggest title that the mind's given anything is me. Yeah? This is the crown of its fucking little court. <laughs> That's that's a that's a hell of a lot of seriousness to take itself to be God. So, yeah, let's question that. If I'm not that, maybe you'll lose interest in it. You'll lose interest in the mechanisms that keep promoting it and reinforcing it. You know, you'll lose interest in time. You'll lose interest in the thoughts. You won't see them as yours anymore. And then you'll be freed from the bondage of yourself. And when you're freed from it, you'll realize the activity that bonds you to the idea of yourself. You'll see it. You'll see all of its little mechanisms, and then you recognize them as what their true uh, agenda is, is to produce this one sense of being you. Yeah? And do it over and over and over again, so that you'll be in that active preoccupation with you, you'll be passively denying your own nature. You won't even know that you're denying your own nature. You'll just be actively up the ass itself. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah.